Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, dear God, that it is everything we need for life and godliness, Lord. It is sufficient. And Father, we just pray now that you'd open up your word to us, give us understanding, help us to apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, I, I shared with you last week that uh, if any of you are interested in helping out with uh, giving a testimony, and the good part about having testimonies is my sermons get shorter if we have a testimony that night. So that's, that's kind of a good thing. But uh, we'd love for anyone, uh, last week I shared, if, if you have something you want to share that God has done in your life or how he's worked, we'd love for you to share that with us. So just speak to me and I'll even help you put it together. If you're afraid of being up in front of people, I will, uh, I, I'd love to help you put that together so you can share what God has done in your life. Well, tonight we are back. We're going to actually finish up. We didn't quite finish up Mark last week. And I wanted to give a, a, a full week to two particular verses in Mark. But, um, and then, of course, next week we'll, start the, we'll do uh, the, the epistle to Jude, and then we'll be starting the book of Revelation. But uh, as we get into this, if you remember last week, I, I talked a little bit about this note in your Bibles uh, right before verse 9. It says, and of course in the ESV it says some of the earlier, earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. I'm going to kind of repeat a little bit about what I said last week for anyone who wasn't there. And what, what this is, is they're saying that we have, we have all sorts of manuscript evidence for the scriptures, the New Testament. But these earliest ones that are codexes, they've, they've got the entire New Testament. They're missing these last verses in the book of Mark. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't belong in the book of Mark. It just means these earlier sources don't have it. As far as the internal evidence for the book of Mark, this passage, verses 9 through 20, are, are not at all Markan in Greek. It's not the vocabulary Mark uses. It's very different from what Mark uses. So it, it, from the internal evidence, it seems that this isn't from Mark. Mark didn't author these last few verses. However, the external evidence shows us that early church fathers were quoting from these last, few ver- these last verses in the book of Mark. We see that early, even in these earliest manuscripts that we have, they left space because they were aware of this longer ending of Mark. So I, I think it's safe to say that this is absolutely a part of Scripture. It just may not be written by Mark, although it is attached to Mark's letter. So that's really important. Uh, one of the dear, our dear brothers uh, was talking to me last week after the service, and he said, yeah, when, when I taught about that, I was, I was saying, I think it's important to remember this, is, this book is God's letter to us. Not necessarily just the authors who were inspired to write, but the whole book. Because obviously we know that there are letters that we don't know who authored them, like the book of Hebrews. We have ideas of who, who authored them. But there's no name attached to it. So this ending part of Mark, we don't believe, as far as the internal evidence goes, that the Greek and the vocabulary, it doesn't seem like it's, it's written by the, the Mark, uh, this disciple, John Mark. However, everything he talks about in these verses, we can see in other Gospels or the book of Acts, with the exception of one thing, and that's drinking poison. We just don't see that. So I'm going to read these verses, and then I'm going to key in on the the two verses I want to focus in tonight, but I I wanted to share that first. Now, verse 9, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, 
from whom he had uh, cast out seven demons, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. We read about that in the other gospel accounts too. Verse 12, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Again, we read about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that Jesus talks and explains all these things. Talk about a cool Bible say. That would have been awesome. Verse 14, afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Uh, Let me just pause there for a minute and make a comment about that. Even a rebuke from Jesus is awesome, because a rebuke from Jesus is not to make you feel bad about yourself, but to encourage you to believe the Lord, encourage you to get into a better position than you were before. That's how the Lord corrects us. He doesn't correct us to hurt us or damage us or to put us down or say, you're not good enough. The Lord corrects us to bring us along and conform us more to his likeness. So the Lord rebukes him and says, hey, you guys, I told you all this stuff. Why weren't you believing it? So he rebuked them for their hardness of heart because they did not believe uh, those who had given this testimony. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken... was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And then um, let me just turn over to Acts 5.12 and read this to you real fast. We don't have this on the the scripture text. Acts chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done, among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. So Acts 5 kind of sums up these signs and wonders that are happening. Now these signs and wonders that are happening that that, uh, the ending of Mark shares about, they, they were for a reason, not just for signs and wonders, not just to put on a magic show, but they were there as confirmation to the gospel. They were there to help the gospel go out and help the church. That's what they're there for, to fulfill the Great Commission. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I want to focus tonight on that Great Commission. But first let's talk about the gospel. We've, we've talked about this a lot in the book of Mark. What is the gospel? And... Uh, I think this is so important because this, are, this is Jesus' great commission. It's his commandment to us. Go, therefore, preach the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's John's version of the great commission. Mark says, go proclaim to the whole world the gospel, to the whole creation. Get it out there. And um, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is not works. We have to understand that. The gospel is the work of Jesus Christ 
It is a, a new way of righteousness, a righteousness that is apart from the law, apart from following the commandments. It is a, a new way to become righteous in God's sight or right with God that isn't going to require your works. In fact, if you're going to receive this good news, this gospel, you've got to get rid of your works. Paul said this in Philippians 3.8. He said, indeed, I count Everything is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul had just given his pedigree, he had given his resume saying, hey, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm zealous, I, I, uh, I persecuted the church, I, followed, I kept the law, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, I am as Jew as Jew can get, I am, if you need a model Jew, I'm the guy, but in order to know Christ, I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, okay? In order that. Throwing off, throwing aside, throwing away your good works is a requirement if you're gonna know Christ. I know that sounds kind of backwards because the world always sees church as, oh, you, you've gotta do good, you've gotta be good, you've gotta be a certain person when that's not the case at all. You've gotta recognize, and as Jesus put it this way, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Happy are the people that realize that all their good works, all their spiritual goodness, all the, all the helping the old ladies across the street, all the, all the good works that you want to say, look, God, this is what I did, you need to put down as rubbish. You need to throw out. You need to recognize that it amounts to nothing because we've sinned against a holy God. We... <laughs> The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if we're going to receive that gospel, we have to realize that this stuff is rubbish. In order that I might know Christ. In order that. You know, I need to get a paycheck every month in order that I can pay my bills. See, if I, I can't say I'll pay my bills and I need to get a paycheck. No, I, I, I need to get the paycheck in order that I can pay my bill. The one, one precedes the other. And, and if we are going to follow Christ, if we're going to know this gospel, we have to understand that the, the, the losing of ourself, the getting rid of the good works, all those righteous acts, all the things that you can claim, they've got to go. And we put on Christ. We've got to say, Lord, I'm nothing. All, every work I do is nothing. When you find the end of yourself, we find Christ. So this gospel is a righteousness apart from the works of the law. That's the gospel message. The gospel message is saying, get rid of the works. Throw off the works. Throw off the yoke that says, do, 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 and put on Christ. Well, wait a minute. That sounds too easy. Yeah, it is. It's, all right, I'm now dead and alive in Christ. I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to transform me. Now I live by faith in the Son of God. Now I, I put my trust in him, believe, and I follow him, recognizing that every work I do from this point on is always because of him and by him and to him and for him. Yesterday when we were getting ready to do the baptisms, 
I made sure that everybody understood that. Here in Mark's Great Commission, he says in verse uh, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And there are those churches out there that will try to add baptism to salvation that you've, you've not only got to be baptized, but you've got to be baptized in our church. I'll never forget uh, uh, people coming and knocking on, on uh, the door and saying, hey, we'd love to invite you to a Bible study. We're starting a little home fellowship Bible study here in the area. And it's, oh, that's great. Uh, what church are you with? Oh, we're with the Church of Christ. Oh, uh, aren't you guys the ones that think you have to be baptized in the church? Well, yeah, because you've got you've to believe and be baptized. That's, that's the method. There's got to be this baptism. Well, what about the thief on the cross? He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I will remember you. What about him? Oh, well, Jesus had a special power at that point in time that, that now we have to submit to baptism. No, this here in this passage, it says, believe and be baptized, but those who don't believe will not be saved. They're condemned. They're judged. So the, the issue is about belief, not about the baptism. The baptism confirms the belief. The baptism is the work that Christ did. It's identifying and saying, all right, Christ, you've done it. I want to be a part of it. Here's an outward symbol of what you're doing inwardly. It's going under the water and dying to myself, into the grave. The old life is being left there, coming up the new person in Christ Jesus also looking forward to that resurrection. So our works must go. This new righteousness has appeared. And here comes the great commission. You and I are made a part of that wonderful great commission. Go therefore. Go into the world. Proclaim the gospel. Something about this that we need to recognize, the gospel must be proclaimed. The word in Greek is caruso. And there's actually a a Christian shirt company that says Caruso, and it's an English uh, transliteration of the word Caruso. And it means proclamation, proclaim. Anytime in the Bible where you see um, preach, or the word, usually it's the word preach or proclaim, it's Caruso. And that means get out there. And, and, and here, Paul, or, uh, Mark is giving us this imperative, you go preach it. Je or I shouldn't say Mark, Jesus is giving us the imperative, I apologize for that. Go preach it. Proclaim it, the gospel of the whole world. It has to be said. It has to be told. There have to be words that accompany this wonderful work of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's popular right now nowadays to, you know, that quote by St. Francis of Assisi, which, by the way, is not actually by him. We don't know where that quote came from, but it's, um, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Right? It's a great quote. We love that, that idea. The idea is like, hey, let, let your life show the transformation and the gospel in you. And, and, and obviously, I, I don't disagree with that. We should let our life show. That's why I love the testimony time that we do sometimes on Sunday night. Because it's, it's the living word of God in people's lives. It's, this is what God has done in my life or is what he is doing in my life. I love that. That's really great. But there has to be words that accompany it. Romans 10, 14, if, if, if you'll, uh, we'll have it up here on the screen, and we'll also read it here. Roman, in, in Romans, Paul has just finished talking about all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord. But then he asks this question, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have, not, who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel needs to be proclaimed. We've got to share it. And, and I know so, some of us have reservations about speaking in public or talking to people or bringing it up. It's like, oh, man, I hope, Lord, send somebody to share the gospel with this person. <laughs> what about you, dear Christian? You're there. You're seeing that this person needs to hear the gospel. You proclaim it. God has put you there. Well, you know, that's, that's Greg Laurie's thing. Great glory in the Harvest Crusade. Listen, let me tell you the stats from last year's Harvest Crusade. I mean, this is incredible. And I love the Harvest Crusade. Last year's Harvest Crusade in Anaheim alone, there were 116,000 who attended. And and on the live webcast, there was another 62,000 that attended. The decisions that were made last year were over 12,700 decisions made to follow Christ last year. At the Harvest Crusade. Now, what those decisions, if they were rededications or if they were new first-time believers, we don't know. But 12,000 people of all those who attended made some decision to follow Christ. That's incredible, right? It's incredible. And, and when you think about it, you're like, yeah, that's, well, that's great glory. That's what he does. He, he shares the gospel. And, and I want you to realize that the Harvest Crusade is not taking the place, is not the fulfillment of the Great Commission. You, the person, the believer in Christ, are the fulfillment of the Great Commission. You're the one who carried out. Not just Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie too, but also each and every one of us. No matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel, you are a part of this. L- listen, just think about this for one minute. I, I have, I kind of figured this out. And uh, let's say that every day... We could reach the total attendance of last year's Harvest Crusade, 100,000 people. Every day we could reach 100,000 people. And then tomorrow, we, we, would, we would maximize media and we'd reach 100,000 people today. And then tomorrow we could expect to reach 100,000. And every day for every year we could reach 100,000 people. So the first year alone we'd reach 36.5 million people. That's a lot of people reach for the gospel, right? Now, we've never seen that type of evangelism ever happen in our world, but let's just pretend that that could happen. In two years, we'd reach 73 million people with the gospel. That'd be incredible, right? But it's interesting, though, that's not really God's formula. Let's look at if we do it God's formula. God's formula is you, you go make disciples. You reach somebody. Let's say you reached one person and discipled one person this year. And so now there's two after one year. There's two Christians in the whole world after one year. And then after two years, there's four Christians. And then after three years, there's 109.5 million, the 100,000 each day method, and there's eight Christians the other way. But let's go out to 30 years. 30 years, you're going to have a, a major tipping point where if we were doing the 100,000 each day model, we'd have 1.168 billion. And the multiplying one a year way goes out to 4.3 billion and so on. God's method is better. It multiplies. It doesn't add every day. You are to be multiplying disciples. 
multiplying, just reaching out, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Do you realize in America, as much as the church gets a bad image today because we, we're, we're anti this and anti that and so on. You, oh, you guys don't agree with homosexual marriage or same-sex marriage. You, you guys want to keep us all down. You want to put us away. You want to do this, whatever the case is. Do you know that most people aren't even familiar with the gospel message? That when, when you start to talk to people and they start going and you start asking them questions, they believe that you have a righteousness by works. Most people believe that. Most people outside the church believe that you are going to heaven by your good works. That is not at all the gospel message. Just imagine if you took the time to sit down with somebody and start sharing the gospel message that it's not about your works. It's about the work of Jesus Christ. And we started just discipling one person, just duplicating ourselves. That is the way we're supposed to be carrying out this great commission, by, by multiplication. Just reaching somebody. Now, you may disciple more than that in a year, but that's what we want to be doing. Faithfully carrying out this great commission, not going, well, you know, let's let Greg Laurie do it. He does a much better job at the Harvest Crusade, so we'll wait for that. God's way is so much more efficient. The Harvest Crusade should be looked at as a tool for you. That's what it should be looked at. Greg Laurie puts on an awesome, he, he makes an awesome evangelism tool for you to bring that. And, and by the way, I, I really believe that, that most of the people that go out down on that field that I've talked to, there's been some pre-evangelism already happening. That's why they're there. That's why they're at the stadium. It's just at that point in time when they just choose to respond. Uh, Christmas Eve, I, I had somebody give their life to Christ and, and become born again. And uh, I was told later about it. And, and uh, what the statement was, I've never heard the gospel preached that way before. It wasn't about me. It wasn't the way I shared it. It wasn't the words that I said. It was the Holy Spirit finally, you know, allowing that person to open up their ears and their heart and their mind ready to receive it. They'd heard it. There's pre-evangelism happening in this person's life. They'd been hearing it and hearing it and hearing it. And finally, God used this dummy to, in his words, to open, to have that man accept Christ. Of course, I didn't know about it until later on. But that's just the way it is. There's always pre-evangelism. We have to share. There has to be a proclamation. We've got to have words that accompany the gospel. There also have to be deeds, but there have to be words. So, so let me, when do you do that? Well, I'm not saying you've got to go around, walking around at every table. When you go to a restaurant, just go up to every table. Hey, do you know about Jesus yet? Hey, do you know? Excuse me, can I interrupt your dinner? Can, do you know about Jesus? I'm not saying you have to do that. And I'm not even encouraging that. Obviously, there's timing. And there's, there's not offending people with your presence. I mean, if you're going to offend somebody, let the gospel of Christ offend them, not you, <laughs> not stepping on people's toes. Hold on, stopping people physically, you know, you don't want to do that. But what I am saying is start prayerfully going about your day, Lord, let me share the gospel with somebody today. You may say, well, I don't know if it's God's will. Yeah, it's God's will. He said it right here. Remember Mark? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. If you're ever wondering, how do I know if I'm in the will of God? I, I, I want to share the gospel with somebody, but I'm not sure if it's the will of God. Yeah, it's the will of God. Share the gospel. You don't even have to question it. It is the will of God. John um, says this. If you go to John chapter 14 with me, this is, uh, 
well, let me just turn to John 14. Jesus is talking about going to the Father. And the disciples start asking some questions. And this is what John, Jesus says in John 14, 14. Uh, or sorry, 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the first thing is, if you love God, you'll, you'll keep his commandments. That's, that's the proof of your love of God, that you honor him and keep his commandments. It's not your salvation. It's the proof of your love, that you I love God. Well, let's see it. Do you really love God? It'd be like me saying, I love my wife, but I really want to go date all these other ladies. Right? There's no, there's no proof there. In fact, I'd be showing the exact opposite. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then let's go down a couple more verses to verse 21. Look at what that says. It says, whoever ha- has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Then let's go down to verse 23. And it says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Three times in that passage, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll keep my word. Is there any question about what we're to do if we love Christ? No, it's, it's very obvious. We'll keep his commandments. We'll keep his word. What is his word? Go into all the world. Proclaim the good news, the gospel. It's his word. It's a commandment. So when Jesus commands something, what, what is it called when we don't do something Jesus commands? There's a word for it. Sin. That's right. It's called sin. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Does baptism save us? No. But it would be a sin to ignore it. Jesus commands us to proclaim the gospel. Is, is, is it a matter of salvation? No. You're saved by Christ. You're securing him. But it would be a sin to ignore it. And by the way, there is a blessing that comes to, with honoring God. I'll tell you right now, every time I've honored God in my life, I've been blessed. Every time I, I've stepped out in faith to honor God because I knew he was putting something in front of me to do, and I've done that, it's been a blessing. Even no matter how hard it was or how awkward or how uncomfortable. Do you know, I, I get really uncomfortable sharing with people. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, gee, I wonder if I should share. And you know, I'll tell you right now, I've learned to try to listen to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit starts nagging me, going, you need, you need to share with this person. I go, oh, but Lord, I don't know if it's the right time. You need to share with this person. Oh, but Lord, I'm not sure. <laughs> God is saying, do it. Hey, I'm setting the person up. Here's the pitch. All you got to do is swing. That's all you got to do. It's really simple. In fact, I'm not even pitching. Here's a t-ball stand, the easiest thing in the world. All you got to do is hit this thing. Oh, you know what? Tell you what. All you need to do is swing, and I'll throw it out of the park for you. Um, I'll never forget, I, one of my uh, memory verses was James 4, 23. Whoever knows the good he ought to do and does not do it sins. And that was my, my weekly memory verse that week. And, um, and I walked into this supermarket called Wholesome Choice. It's, uh, they have a, a little Lebanese um, shawarma food area. And so I was getting, walked up, I was getting my shawarma. And this girl asked me, out of the blue, she doesn't know me from anybody. She says, hey, I was wondering, if you know that people are working overtime and... Um, the, the, the management is cheating them and not paying them, 
should I report that? I was like, Lord, what? (laughs) Well, the book of James, have you heard of the Bible? Yeah, I've heard of the Bible. Well, the book of James says, anyone who knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, sins. So yeah, you should report it because you know an injustice is being done. You know what should be done, so yes, you should report it. That opened up a whole conversation to share the gospel with her. And she said, I knew there was something different about you. <laughs> Not just weird looking, just, just different. So God will do those things first. And there's, I mean, that's as easy as it gets, right? And you're like, well, you're a pastor. I'm sure that stuff happens to you all. No, it doesn't happen all the time. But it's really just about being ready and willing, asking the Lord, Lord, would you give me somebody to share the gospel with today? And just trust me, it will happen. You will share the gospel as you do it. The gospel's got to be accompanied by action. It, it has to. The, there, there's a proclamation and there's action. Matthew 28, 19, and uh, you'll have to turn there. I, I didn't put this in the thing. Matthew 28, 19 says, make disciples. Oh, I went past Matthew here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Fulfilling the Great Commission is not just a matter of proclaiming, just saying it. Hey, guess what? Jesus died for you. Done, Lord. Good. Come, come for me now. I'm a faithful servant. <laughs> We're good. I told, I, I yelled it on me. I mean, can you imagine? I was in Taiwan one time and uh, we were with the youth group on a mission trip and we were in this little city and I'm going to slaughter the name of it. It's called Dongshu. We were all living in this little house and, um, and uh, they, they would have these trucks drive through and it was funeral trucks and they were just speaking Chinese over these loudspeakers to the whole town and it was proclaiming that somebody had died and so the entire town would know that somebody died, and this is who the name is, and this is where the funeral's at. Um, that's what Pastor Rod told me. I didn't pick that all up. Um, it was all in Chinese. And uh, boy, wouldn't that be easy? I mean, can you imagine? What if we just rented a giant speaker truck and just drove around every neighborhood? Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. We're done. We fulfilled it. But it's more than just the proclamation. It's actually making disciples, making disciples, duplicating ourselves. Um, and, and by the way, in Matthew here, when it says go therefore, the, the verb is not go, the verb is making disciples. Go is a participle, and it, and it just means while going, make disciples. Whatever you're doing, whether it be getting your kids ready for school, making disciples. Whether it, mean, whether it means sharing, working with somebody at your job, Making disciples. That's, that's what the word, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, make disciples. That's the thing. So there's, there's some, some more, than, more than just a proclamation. There's some action there where we've got to know the word of God and teach people the word of God. Teach them all that Jesus has commanded us. So there's a requirement here that we be disciples. If we're going to duplicate ourselves, right? Can you imagine... Um, <laughs> if I came out here and I put on my black belt, we, we, uh, we used to do this uh, youth group event called Tackle the Ninja. And 
Uh, for that, we had black belts and stuff, but they were fake black belts. They weren't really earned black belts. If you asked me to do this karate kick, I'd probably break a light and fall over and tear a hamstring or whatever the case. But um, it would be a sad thing because I wasn't really a black belt. I just had, I just, I went into the store and bought a black belt and was like, ah, the blackness of my belt is the coffin on a moonless night sort of thing, you know. Um, (laughs) Although the outward appearance shows I've got a black belt, but inward there's no training, there's no, there's no kung fu master in here, (laughs) there's nothing there. If I went out with my black belt and walked around the streets and said, hey, I've got a black belt. And eventually somebody probably would test my black belt and I would get put in the hospital and beat up. Uh, and, and by the way, it probably wouldn't be them that put me in the hospital. It would be myself. I would just do something. But the thing is, it would be all show. There would be no substance there. It would just be all a, a show. And sadly, Christians do that. Christians, obviously, they, they believe Christ. They love the Lord. They come to church. But there's no discipleship happening in their own lives. This is the extent of it, coming into the big room, hearing me preach the gospel or hearing Pastor Rod preach the word. This is the extent of the discipleship. There's no personal, there's no, Lord, teach me this morning. Lord, teach me this evening. Lord, I want to know you more. There's no pursuing after the Lord, being filled up by the Holy Spirit. Because, by the way, making this great commission happen has to come by the Holy Spirit. It's an overflow in you. It's what God's pouring into you, and he's filling you up so much much that it's just overflowing into others. We don't read the word of God for everybody else. We read the word of God for ourselves. Uh, I was talking to my friend who's a pastor, and he was saying, I think one of the hardest parts about being a pastor is loving Christ. And I said, yeah, I totally identify with you on that. Once you get into the ministry, you can get so busy about reading the word for everybody else, for the sermons that's coming up or the whatever else is coming up, the counseling appointment or whatever. You're reading it for everybody else, but there's no filling up of you. There's no sitting and loving Christ for you. And so I was talking about that, that you got to make time. And I was telling my friend, uh, I said, look, I know with my wife, we, we sit down, we talk, and I know when I, I need to give her more time. I know when my kids need more time for me, and I've got to make sure I give them that time. Otherwise, I won't have them. They'll be gone. They'll be, they'll be widowed or fatherless to the ministry, right? I know that my wife needs my time, so I make that time for her. I know Jesus, I, I need the time with Jesus, so I make the time to love my Lord first. My first love, right? That's what Jesus says. The, the, and we'll be reading Revelation the first church had lost, the church in Ephesus lost their first love. They had forgotten their first love. They were doing, they were all about the doing. Jesus commends them. Hey, I know your good works. I know that you don't tolerate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I know that you're doing, 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 doing. You don't tolerate heresy. You're, you're, you're theologically sound. But you've lost your first love. This I hold against you. You can read theology books. You can read all sorts of books about the Bible. You can listen to K-Wave all day long. You can watch Christian TV. But do you have the first love? Do you have that love for Jesus that you're feeding yourself with? Just, just pouring into you. Or are you reading it for everybody else? So if you want to be a, 
a good disciple, making disciples, it starts with being that good disciple. If you want to make disciples, you've got to be a good disciple. And again, this is not an issue of salvation. This is a response to your belief in Christ. It's you now are a kingdom, a chosen, a chosen, uh, chosen, I'm sorry, a kingdom of priests chosen for me. You are that chosen one by Christ. This is his method. Jesus could have chosen other ways. He could have said, hey, you know what? We're going to get this whole satellite TV thing started early. We're going to get the radio thing going here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. No, he said, you go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what does that look like for you? I, th- I think it starts in prayer. When you're going to go fulfill the Great Commission, every day it's prayer. Lord, help me to be a dad who's making disciples in my household. And, and I'm, I'm not saying smother your kids with Bibles or anything like that. Uh, but make good disciples. Let your kids see. When you sin, let your kids know, Daddy sinned. He, he did what wasn't right in the eyes of the Lord, or he lost his temper, or he did this. Let your kids be transparent with your kids so that they see your faith in action, not just what you're saying is faith in action. I'll never forget there were times when we'd be on the way to church and we're fighting in the back seat like kids do. And my dad's swinging on the back seat, you know, like we're ducking the, the, the hand coming back there and uh, he's trying to murder us. We get into church, we're like, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> when I lose it with my kids, I tell them, I acted like a fool. Please forgive me. You know, and the sad part too is when you act like a fool, when you lose your temper, you completely miss the moment to correct. Can you imagine if Jesus and rebuking the disciples for their unbelief just started going in and beating them up and they're like, what was that all about? What? Jesus called me dumb. What was that about? They missed, they missed the whole point of the correction. Make disciples. In your home, with your, with your children, at your work, with your neighbors. Think of ways in which you can do that. Sometimes, I think uh, the Great Commission helps us be missional in our mindset. I wake up this morning, I have a purpose. My number one purpose is not just to make money to pay the bills. My number one purpose is to live for Christ and fulfill His Great Commission. Now I'm going to be Intentional. Hey, I've got that neighbor across the street. How can I walk across that street and talk to that neighbor? How can, yeah, that neighbor, neighbor behind me is a jerk. They're always throwing the loud parties. Should, should I throw my, the, the dog poop over the fence? I'm like, yeah, that'll teach her, right? You guys are laughing because you've done that. I know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Is, is, that, is that what I should do? Or should I be intentional and in trying to work for ways that I can share the gospel with that person? Well, Lord, I'd love to share the gospel with that person, but can you make them nicer first? Do you realize that this Great Commission is a call to bring people back from the dead? In fact, every sin list you read about in the Bible, slanderers, brawlers, uh, gossips, um, horror, uh, <laughs> The uh, adulterers, idolaters. These are the people God is calling you to go reach. The people that are messy, the people that may be annoying, the people that don't fit in church. 
These are the people that you're called to go share with. Ephesians gives us this image of us without Christ, and um, I, I won't read it to you, but in Ephesians chapter 1, it gives us this image that we were dead in our sins and transgressions, lusting after the cravings of sinful, the sinful flesh. That's all we desire to fill ourselves with prior to Christ coming into our lives and being born again. That we live for ourselves, knowing God we wouldn't acknowledge God, but became foolish in our thinking. That is us outside of Christ. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. Hopeless, helpless, and condemned. But because of Jesus Christ, that has all changed. And for some reason, Christians sometimes expect the condemned to act like the new creation, even though they've never met Jesus. We expect the dead to start breathing without that, that vital step of hearing the gospel. We accept the dead to conform to the Bible. Don't you know this is the Word of God? Of course they don't know it's the Word of God. Did you know it was the Word of God? Did, did, did you? I, I know for me, I grew up with a Bible in the household and it was like, hey, occasionally I read it. But it didn't mean anything to me until that day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'll never forget that day. That day was incredible. I had an insatiable hunger. That day was like the first time I realized that Jesus did it all for me. That day was the day that I put my face down on the ground. I just couldn't get lower. I, I, I could swear I was in the presence of the Almighty for the first time in my life. And I was so embarrassed by my sin and ashamed of it. But also at the same time, so very thankful for what he had done for me. So excited. So amazed by his love and his grace. It was amazing to me what God had done. And, and, and that, was that, that day was the day that I said, this is no ordinary book. This is a powerful, powerful book. It was that day that I recognized the word of God. So I want to encourage you, as you're going out, fulfilling this great commission, expect the unbelieving world to continue scoffing, continue mocking continue jeering, wagging their heads at Jesus like the gospel talks about in the crucifixion scene, continuing to act like the dead. Just expect that. But you are ambassadors. You are representatives of this new righteousness apart from the law. That's your goal. Your goal is to go reach the lost, not reach the saved. No, reach the lost and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. I think this is a challenge for all of us, and I think it's a good reminder. After all, in the end, we know that the Lord's going to come back, and the Lord's going to ask us to give an account for our stewardship. We've been stewards in the Lord's household, and he's given us gifts and talents to use while he's away. Will we, when he comes back, will it be, well done, good and faithful servant, or will it be the one, the wicked servant who went and hid the talent and said, hey, look, I know you can be harsh and a judgmental God. You know, always judging people and stuff. So I went and hid that, that talent, so at least I got that one left. And that's when the Lord said, you wicked servant, get out. Let's be faithful servants. Let's be ready, excited to share the gospel. And by the way, let me just talk for one minute in closing about success. How do we measure success with the Great Commission? You let Jesus measure the success. You just be faithful. 
I know a lot of people are afraid to go out street witnessing and things like that because, well, one, just a cold approach is one fear. A second, a second fear is they're going to ask me something that I'm not going to know. They're going to, you know, I hear pastors, the Greek and this and the Greek and that, and they're going to ask me something about the Greek, and I don't know Greek, so I can't go street witnessing. So, so that's, that's a fear. And then, of course, there's that, that fear that they won't make the sell. We're not door-to-door salesmen, okay? You don't have to make a sell. Let the Holy Spirit worry about the, the work that the words go, do. Let the Holy Spirit worry about that. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. You just be faithful. If God says, go speak, you go speak. Think about the prophets. So many times the prophets were called, go speak. Jeremiah probably had the worst time at all. Jeremiah gets called into ministry and says, the Lord says, hey, Jeremiah, guess what? I'm calling you out to be a prophet. And guess what? You're going to fail. And you're going to see all your people carried off into captivity. But this is what I want you to go do. You know what? We know that times will grow darker. The love of most will grow colder. The Bible's clear on what things are going to look like as we grow closer to the end. But the commission stays the same. Go forth. So as far as success, how you measure success, by your faithfulness to go do, to in faith step out. And uh, I want to challenge you with that, the last thing. Step out in faith. (laughs) Faith is not when things are safe and everything is going my way and understandable. Faith is not when I'm controlling the situation. Faith is when I'm trusting and dependent upon God to do something. God to be faithful to his promises. God to be faithful in me doing. <laughs> me say, all right, Lord, I don't know why you want me to talk to my coworker. I don't know why you want me to go talk to this person. Lord, I'm really uncomfortable right now. But I will in faith. Because you put it on my heart, I will go do. That is faith. Imagine what it's like to actually step out and live in faith. We don't have to do that much in, in the U.S. But I bet if we did, if we would start stepping out in faith and inviting people, sharing with people, loving people. Man, just think about the Mormons. They worship a false god. And they go door to door. Hey, we'd like to share about the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mormonism. They don't even worship the right God, and there they are, door to door, bum 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 bum. And I'm not saying you go door, start a door to door ministry or whatever. In fact, unfortunately, because of the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, people just assume that you're <laughs> you're a cult if you go knocking on doors. But look at what they exercise. They're, and the sad part about it is, it's all futile. It's trying to work out a salvation, working for salvation, and and it won't profit them anything going to door to door because it's only by Jesus Christ. Imagine if we started stepping out in faith saying, Jesus, you said to go do this. I will go do this. I will share. I will share with the person that doesn't like me, uh, but I'll do it lovingly. You know? And I'm not saying you harass people, you beat them over the head with the gospel, but you continually share and love and share and love and share and love, and you let God worry about the result. Because look at the part of the Great Commission in Mark 16, in, uh, ending here. Um, I flipped over there. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. There's going to be people who don't believe and people that will be judged for their unbelief. 
they already stand in judgment. They're already dead in their sins and transgressions. But understand this, that your success of the Great Commission is not that everyone believes, but that you're faithful in proclaiming it and making disciples. That's, what the, that's how we want to measure success is faithfulness. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your word. And Lord, more than anything, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, you, you didn't just say go do this, but you said you'll equip us. Your Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us to do this, Lord. And we thank you that you've given us every gift in the heavenlies to fulfill this great commission, Lord. To proclaim, to lift up your church, to make disciples. All these gifts given so that you would be made known. And uh, we just thank you so much for that. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.